Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Dr. Nasha Winters. Dr. Winters is a board-certified naturopathic doctor who is also licensed in acupuncture and oriental medicine, and she is the co-author on the book titled The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. Thank you, Nasha, for coming um, onto the show today. Thank you so much, Gary. It's a joy. I love your show. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you are the doctor who was talked about so highly of in one of the last episodes with Alison Gannett. Um, and her brain cancer treatment. And that's why I had to get you on the, the show today just to talk more about that story about cancer treatment, cancer diagnosis, what people go through, how to help it, and just some hints and tips that you found from your biohacking experiences where you've you've gone in and you've done different elements to this puzzle that people have to deal with. And Alison said, like, you were just amazing at taking all these puzzle pieces and helping guide her in her p- particular situation. Well, and as you saw yourself, Allison is a pretty much of a dynamo on her own. <laughs> um, and I just helped kind of come in and give her some reference, you know, reference points and some tools. And she has since run with it. And I think that that's what's so important to share with you and your audience is that this can be done by anybody. You don't have to be, you know, um, you know, a rocket scientist to get this uh, figured out. You can biohack the heck out of yourself in this process. Um, all along the way with the smallest tools and the smallest amount of information. Yeah, and that's what's awesome to think. You don't need to be degreed to the high hilt in something. that You could just be on, like Alison, a farmer on a farm in a rural area and still be able to do an amazing health fix on yourself, uh, health yeah. management. So. Yeah, exactly. so I want to start us off just to get people to um, get to know you a little bit more about your keen interest in cancer, this all starts from your own personal story with cancer. If you could just uh, maybe start us off off there. Well, I kind of just, my childhood and um, adolescence, I was just sort of sick all the time. And it was sort of the only way that I knew how to be. I mean, I just didn't expect to feel any different, right? So there is a place where we all sort of become that a frog in boiling water scenario where you're so used to it that you don't even realize that you're burning up, you know, that you're, that something bigger is happening. And so, um, by the time I was 14, I'd had cervical cancer, um, a pre-cervical cancer process by the time I was 16, again, a little more aggressive. Um, and by the time I was 19, um, I was very, very sick and kind of in and out of the ER almost monthly for almost a year before I, frankly got so sick um, and was literally dying um, very rapidly and organ failure filled with ascites, super cachectic, so extremely mal- malnourished at that time when a doctor finally ran the right tests and really took a deeper look under the hood and was a bit horrified to realize that I was that zebra in the living room. You know, no one expected to see a, and uh, well, I had just, I was on the night, I was 19 when all these symptoms were happening. And it was just a few weeks after my 20th birthday when I officially was diagnosed. Um, but to have this uh, doctor, you know, crying as he's giving me my terminal diagnosis because he had a daughter my age was 
honestly, for me in that moment, I actually felt like I had to take care of him. (laughs) It was a really strange dynamic. And in some ways, I think for me, because of the thousands and thousands of stories I've heard of people having that diagnosis laid on them, the shock of that the C word, the shock of that laying on top of you is so overwhelming that you kind of get sucked into a very strange place. And for sure with this part process, I tell people all the time, the biggest, most acute and most dangerous point of, a can- of cancer is the diagnosis because it's what it does to your physiology and your psychology and how you respond to that diagnosis is really key in how you're going to meet this process head on or not. And so for me to have that kind of ultimate distraction of being my sort of uh, natural caregiver that I've been since I was a little kid person start to take care of this person, it helped me in a moment kind of um, just let the information wash over me. And I had been so sick for so long. There was also some sort of relief in knowing finally someone knows what's going on here. It wasn't exactly great news when they said you've got just a few months to live even with treatment. Um, But there we are. Wow. And how, how many years ago are we talking now? Because you're still here. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, you know, a three month diagnosis as of October 21st of this month will be 26 years. Wow. That's, yes. that's so I mean, maybe that's the question you need to ask him. So when you say three months, like, is it calendar months or is this some other kind? Because you've just, you've, you've read it. Almost three decades. Is that what you <laughs> um, no. Fantastic. I mean, well done. Right. Thank you. And the the labs and where I was in the physical state, I was so sick that um, honestly, their recommendations were that I could not even tolerate the treatment. So um, they gave me the choice of conventional, you know, chemotherapy intervention. um, But I was so sick that they were afraid it would kill me quicker than just the natural progression of the disease. And so that, you know, you kind of said, well, that roller coaster we talked about before the show of where did I go next? Well, where I went next was frankly rage. Um, Mm. I was, I was pissed. (laughs) I was, I was angry that I had been so sick for so long and kept asking for help, asking for support, asking for, you know, someone to look deeper, asking for someone to just simply listen to me and to what was going on in my body. That to me, that was, I mean, I even feel emotion when I say that, um, that was the most difficult part of the process was feeling completely unheard and unseen and unsupported. And that place is what perpetuates disease and cancer. And a lot of people just that alone, much less when you are actively trying to seek why you feel a way that you do and no one's willing and able to get you the answers that you're looking for. So like I said, for me, that weird place was relief. And then what it did is it was sort of like a call to action. And that call to action was fueled by anger. And Mm. anger in Chinese medicine um, is the will to become. So it's reframed in a process that's more of a dynamic energy. And in our culture in the West, we kind of shun anger. It's you're not supposed to feel that. You're not supposed to express that. Well, it was... um, it was a lifesaver for me to have that um, emotion start the ride. Uh, I already like that because so it's sort of flipping anger, which could be seen as a negative in someone as actually a potential positive because you're full of energy. You just need to channel that in the right direction. Exactly. That's exactly because you can, you know, most of the time when we are angry, we're 
channeling it against ourselves. And for me, it was something putting it out and it inspired me to start looking and seeking and finding other answers and solutions. And I realized in that moment, it was 100% up to me. No mm. one could help. And you have to remember the time frame. I mean, Gary, this is, we did not have people like you out there blogging and sharing information and tidbits on where to learn more. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Google. We didn't have any of these things. I mean, I was working in the library at my college. All we had was the Dewey Decimal System. Okay. <laughs> And I, um, I was also pre-med, so I was big into the sciences. So I wanted to understand. For me, where I started was the physiology, the biochemistry, um, the pathology of this process. And so for me to understand the disease itself then kept me asking more questions about me in mm. the process of that you know, disease, if you will. And that's what I think also, as you're aware and your listeners are aware, and Allison was aware, um, when we're diagnosed with any illness, you know, if it happens to be cancer, great, but um, we're kind of left out of the equation. And suddenly the cancer or the tumor or the tumor cell takes all the, you know, sucks all the oxygen out of the room and takes up all the attention. And yes, it's important to know that part, but it is but a sliver of the information. So it sounds to me like, yeah, that when someone's going through the cancer um, scenario, that cancer is seen as the third person in this party here. And you're just this external thing to the cancer, but actually you're saying, no, you need to address yourself. And then that's how you, you get down into the root cause and the treat and the correct treatment for your situation. That is exactly it. And, um, you know, that's that part is that we also somehow think that cancer was something outside of us that we yeah. contracted um, and that or that we caught it. So it's so many people, you know, they think they go to bed one day and then wake up with a cancer diagnosis. It doesn't work that way. Now, remember that we all have cancer cells, all of us, all of the time. And our body has all these beautiful mechanisms to keep the checks and balances in place. Okay. And once that disconnect of our checks and balances starts to happen, that's when, that's when danger can, you know, that's when kind of the danger signals um, start to, to take off and start to uh, create other processes and patterns in the body. And so the irony is that we then think that we have to then kill this part of ourself attack, you know, push back. Now it can be very important. Cytotoxic reduction is very important part of cancer care. But again, it's been where we've put all of our attention for the last 70 years, maybe a little bit of DNA, you know, gene damage in the interim, which hasn't gotten us very far either. Um, but basically that's just it is, it is of you. It came of you and it is trying to communicate to you about what's going on and about how to, uh, look at it and treat it differently. Mm. Yeah, and, and so it's your own physiology, it's your own body, and that's why what triggers cancer in someone can be so multifactorial because it's how our own body is trying to deal with making new cells and cleaning up old cells. Um, yeah. So, the, but already what I'm hearing here, and when I was reading your bio, I can see why you've got such a keen interest in a branch of medicine called psychoneuroimmunology. Yes. And uh, I love it because you're going to be my first person I get to uh, talk more about psychoneuroimmunology on the show. So, because um, I've done a course in psychoneuroimmunology um, or otherwise known as psychoendocrinology, um, and that was with a neurosurgeon in South Africa. 
and wow. he, and that was fascinating just that concept that um your illness like in that situation just to give a, a brief um overview was that here was a, a neurosurgeon who would say right someone's got a back problem but you could have two people and he could say, right, I can do surgery on this one, but I can't do surgery on this one because this person from a psychoneuroimmunology point of view is so ill that if I do surgery, their body won't heal and there'll be a failed back surgery scenario. But this one, their their score, he has a scoring system is high enough. Therefore, you can handle the trauma of surgery of and and still be able to recover. And this is and that's why I want to go deeper now down uh, explaining to people about this concept. Oh, I love it. Well, first of all, you that is awesome because not very many people are familiar with it, despite the fact that there's been loads of research for decades on this. And in fact, in the early 90s, when I was in school, um, when I did get my diagnosis, I switched my major from biology and chemistry to psychology and biology because I knew um, one of the other pieces of my story is when I left the the follow up, um, they sent me to a, a gynecolog or to a gynecological oncologist after my diagnosis to kind of have a conversation about my options, and that was even more disheartening than the ER visits had been over the past year prior to that. Um, in fact, that's actually I think what really pushed the anger button. But I went straight to the library, and just a book jumped off the shelf at me, which at that time was brand new, which was Quantum Healing by Deepak Chopra. You know, and I'm a girl from Kansas, Deepak Chopra, you know, was like, what is this all about? You know, I sat down and inhaled that book in about two hours and it got my brain just going. I mean, literally within a week, I changed my major. I was some completely understanding that the part and parcel of what was going on for me was thanks to processes that had happened in my childhood, but also in my parents' childhood, which we were not even quite talking about epigenetics then. Um, people like Bruce Lipton were just starting to talk about it, but I hadn't heard that term for another decade or so later. But to even understanding that the traumas of our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents imprint on our own epigenetic expression was mind-boggling to me. And I knew that my own uh, childhood uh, traumas, which today we have an entire field around ACE scores, which is adverse childhood events. So basically, the more traumatic experiences you've had before the age of 18, the higher your incidence of cancer. You know, I mean, that's the, the Cliff's Notes version of that. Mm -hmm. um, to recognize that I had 10 of the 10 was a pretty big eye opener. And I knew that it was a piece of this puzzle that there was nothing in a Western medical toolbox that could touch that. So I had to then again, create my own education. So I could dual purpose, you know, so I could sort of multitask. So I could both be learning and getting my degree while also hopefully healing my body. And Gary, I'll tell you, I had no belief system that I was going to survive this. None whatsoever. Well, because you had three months. So... Yeah, I was like, if I'm going out, I'm going out with as much knowledge as possible. It's a good distraction. My mental acuity is what got me out of trouble in many other parts of my life. So I'm like, well, I'll just intellectualize the crap out of this. And just that will at least be my distraction from the pain and, and the mortality issue that I'm faced with. Yeah. And lo and behold, week after week, month after month, I mean... Yeah, crazy. But but the whole issue around the psychoneuroimmunology is we cannot separate the mind and the body. They they absolutely communicate with one another 
always, we're always having those feedbacks. So for instance, in Chinese medicine, because I had that in my background, um, there are long, like uh, organ patterns that also associate with disease patterns and emotional patterns. So for instance, if you have issues that chronically affect your lungs and your large intestine, kind of act as a team, then you're dealing with issues around grief and loss. If you keep getting issues that are impacting your liver and your gallbladder, then you're dealing with issues around anger, rage, depression, um, uh, suppressed emotion. Um, if you've got issues around cardiovascular health, um, you're dealing with issues around, you know, lack of joy in your life. So there's these, these patterns like kidney stuff is around fear and anxiety, right? So I'm just giving examples that for thousands of years, the other vitalistic, holistic medical practices never discounted the impact of the of the emotion on the whole healthcare system. And yet we, after Descartes, decided to separate the two wide <laughs> right out. And then we've lived in a very reductionistic, compartmentalized uh, culture of thinking, and especially with relationship to healthcare for the last several hundred years. I like that. So it, that guide you just mentioned there, it's like a, a, a top end of the funnel. So when you when you're beginning, um, that you go right you, that your your area is this problem of your body potentially i'm going to ask you a question you know this aspect can you relate to that in any sense and that from there we can start going down so that as a already there if someone's listening to this and they've just got a diagnosis to know that there's a system out there that to help them start because it's like where do i begin and this is already a place that this is where you can begin Absolutely. And I think that that's, I think that having a, a starting point is very, is also very, very helpful in your prognosis yeah. and your outcome because the sense of being overwhelmed will paralyze most of us. Mm. Right. And so having just even one place to start is huge. And that's where one of the pieces in our book is Jess and I put together, you know, based on my 25 plus years, the, these sort of 10 patterns that I chronically see in people. And then we also wanted people to be able to know, well, out of those 10 patterns, what is your current priority? So this right? is called your terrain 10, right? It is okay. exactly called the terrain 10. And so in that terrain 10, we have a questionnaire in the, in the book. And so you can actually do the 10 questions of each of the terrain 10 sections and see which area you score highest in. And that's going to be kind of your where to start right now we always kind of know that the mind body, you know, the emotional spiritual piece is going to come up eventually in everyone with a diagnosis like this. It, mm. it, it, I don't, I've, I've done this for so long with tens of thousands of patients. It has never, ever been without an emotional trigger. It just, it's impossible. Okay. I'll just, I'll just say that I'd love for you to, to, to meet someone where that hasn't happened, but I don't, I don't think it's possible. It's just a, a disease that's so riddled with a loss of connection to self and other and intracellular communication that it can only come from a big shock or trauma or loss or, or event that is just overwhelming to our psychology. I like to relate people to that concept um because they think yeah but how you know how does that make sense and sort of like a, a visual um example i would give is when someone has a a huge traumatic experience emotional trauma like a bereavement or death or something like that and then their hair goes white or gray instantly so you see the physical change in someone's hair color happen mm -hmm. rapidly and that's so it's like an emotion changed your hair color is that's just one example to for I think for people to sort of relate that's how powerful your your brain what you what you're feeling in your head can actually physically do to your body 
Absolutely. And that is what ties back into the science behind psychoneuroimmunology is we can actually take a blood sample from someone who's just finished a, a meditative state. Okay. And we can take a blood sample of someone who was like road raging all the way to the clinic and almost got into a car accident, got in a fight with their spouse on the way to the clinic. And just one argument with your spouse will drop your IgA levels, which are your immunoglobulins for upwards of, two, of 48 hours. Right. So just examples like that. So think about if you're in a situation where you are constantly being poked at with a stick, mm. your immune system never gets a chance to reboot, right? And ultimately, our immune system is the, uh, the sort of keeper of the planes within our body. It's, it's what's out there looking around. You know, the immune system is recognizing, um, responding, and remembering. It's the three R's. And when you have any breakdown of any of those three R's, and most of us, by the time we get a cancer process, all of them are all three R's are out the window. Um, you have lost the, the the kind of initial defense, if you will, that's screening and filtering and responding to and clearing out things. That's why I said we all have cancer cells all the time. Thank you to the three R's that we don't cancer mm. all the time. Well, yeah. uh, okay. So, um, <laughs> so, so hopefully, they, I mean, psychoneuroimmunology in its own is, is a massive topic, and we can go so deep into that. But um, the next big topic, too, that uh, we touched on with Alison is circadian rhythms and understanding that. So, you, you deal a lot, and this is all covered in your book, that you deal with the, the, the mind element of the psych, uh, psychoneuroimmunology. But now, if we could also talk about circadian biology and how people have a mismatch and that's also contributing to this diagnosis situation. So good. Well, I, I, you know, for years I used to use the analogy of little house on the prairie because I grew up in Kansas and I loved Laura Ingalls Wilder um, from the, all those books. And it was the idea of you rose with the sun and went to bed with the sun and you were very physically, you know, laborious during the day, you know, the, the, um, primordial, you know, chop wood, carry water type of, you know, kind of type of concept. And you walked and were outdoors an average of four hours or more a day. And you were eating entirely what was based on what you could gather and hunt around you. And you didn't have any blue lights of any kind. Those simply did not exist. Um, and so your light was amber toned and from the fire, from the candle, from the lantern, you know, it's like, these are really new things things, you know, 100, 150 years to start to bring on these new technologies to better our lives, which they have in incredible ways. But the ricochet effect, the, the over pendulum swing of that is we're finding out the absolute direct impact that, you know, we know there's a lot of pharmaceuticals and a lot of toxins and things like radiation that directly damage and destroy our mitochondria. But we are now learning how much our mitochondria is being destroyed by things like blue light. And when I say that, that's screen time. You know, that is exposing your retinas and your pineal gland and every little cell. We have little light receptors on every you know, surface cell of our, of our skin, of our dermis and our body that is constantly sensing what's around you to know where you are in space and day and light and season. And suddenly our bodies literally have no idea which way is up. They don't know if it's night or day. We live in a perpetual summer and we live in a perpetual light. That's what our chemistry is exposed to. And in that situation, that means growth factors. Okay. That means stress to the system. 
That means inability to go into parasympathetic and take out the garbage and rest and restore the body. And so that place is we've upped the antes over the last hundred years that we simply don't have the rhythm in our systems anymore. And it's very challenging to bring it back. I mean, when you're in a perpetual summer, meaning you have access to all the carbohydrates all the time, 24-7, every day of the year, that is incredibly damaging to our chemistry. Um, and the same goes with light. They're two, to me, on the same level of, of discomfort. So for instance, insulin growth factor, huge growth factor in cancer process. You can have elevated insulin growth factor from eating crappy sugar-rich food. And guess what? Two nights of bad sleep, insulin growth factor spikes. So even lack of our circadian sleep patterns will stimulate insulin growth factor directly. It also stimulates obesity, diabetes, neurological disease. It increases estrogen. It increases cortisol. So we really take for granted um, how much our livelihood, our modern life is impacting our health today. Yeah, and that's the metabolic approach there. So all these other metabolic conditions, the syndrome. And I think what I'm hearing there too, where people might think, oh, I, I eat a very healthy diet, but they lead a very bad circadian lifestyle because they're, they're exposing themselves to too much artificial light by being on their computer for too long or their phone or something. So it might be like you, you, you may be giving yourself a false sense on one end, but maybe this element here is knocking you out. Or you could be the opposite when you're light-wise you're okay but you're eating a junk diet so or you could be doing both and then that's also <laughs> exactly it's then you're kind of on fire and yeah. you know that's why we, we wrote about this as a metabolic you know, brain approach is because i have so many, in fact i have a client next week who is going to be a new patient for me who is just agonizing over how in the world she got cancer because she's got a triple negative breast cancer. She's 45 years old. She had all the genetics done, all the targeted genetics done. There's not a single genetic and there's no family history of cancer. And she's just scratching her head as to why. And I'll be really honest. I mean, I'm, I'm a straight shooter with my patients and I'm going to just basically say to her, I don't know how the hell you got this far without cancer. The woman has had multiple cancers in her past from, from other types of cancer types. Her diet, there is not a real piece of food in her diet. It's a hundred percent packaged and processed. She is a night owl. She gets to bed at two, but sleeps till 10. So she's like, Oh, I'm getting my eight hours but she's getting the eight hours out of the circadian rhythm. You know, those are just some, some examples and sprays her house constantly for weeds and glyphosate, eats all glyphosate enriched, enriched foods and grains and processed, you know, on um, birth control pills, on um, antidepressants, on anti-inflammatories. I mean, literally I'm looking at her terrain 10 and there is not one of her terrain 10 patterns that are not on fire. And so I, and I'm, I'm, I'm shocked because I actually thought she was kidding when she said, I'm really confused as to why I got this. And so my first response before I even see her next week, I'm like, please get my book. So I do not freak the hell out of you out in our one hour consult next week, because I want her to make those connections. Cause if I tell her those connections, it's going to be lost. Mm. But the fact that she's so disconnected and disembodied to even ask that question is shocking to me. And guess what? She represents the majority of the people on this planet. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's maybe there that uh, we don't quite realize that there's a lot of people who just don't have an understanding and they don't, as you said, they haven't connected the dots. And um, maybe 
you can get into the world of marketing and think, no, but I've been told all, all of this process stuff is so good for me. Um, but it's, and I, I think it from a, on a health side, it's confusing. You think, how come you don't trust yourself anymore? Why do you need to um, eat something that's processed to get something? Why not just eat the real thing? You should, you know, supplements are supplementing something that's good. It's not supplements are your everything, for example. Um, and it, yeah, I think, as you said, the majority of people might think they're, they're actually in this world and they, they, they live here thinking, no, but the package says it's good for me. But I, and then I just need to take anti something just to maybe dampen responses. But if you're in the world of antis, it's like, why are you in the world of antis? That's the question you need to ask. And she's been in the world of antis since she was a, since she was like twelve, and yeah. been like layering up, and had um, you know two cysts removed from her ovaries, and a lumpectomy because of a questionable breast mass, you know, in in, in the nineties, and six root canals. I'm like, oh my, like it just goes on and on and on and on. I'm like, what is more of a miracle about this young woman? And that's what I'm going to put our attention on in our visit is the sheer fact that she's made it this far to finally get this cancer. Yeah, okay. It's like body, despite herself, <laughs> had a survival mechanism in there. And so now we are going to biohack it. We're testing, addressing, and you know, assessing and addressing. And we are able to start to help her um, tune back into her own chemistry, understand her own patterns, and do something about it. That alone, I mean, my gosh, she's basically never had a healthy life and she's going to have one for the first time ever. And it's the people like her that are my favorite clients because I have thousands of stories of people saying, I am healthier now than I ever was before cancer. And that's how it should be mm. because it took you at least a decade to create the environment for that cancer to express itself. Wow. Okay. Um so, yeah, because talking about circadian rhythms, I had one of the previous um, episodes too. I had a, a researcher who was saying if you eat too late in the night, how it puts you up for um, more predisposes you to skin cancer or, or aging of the skin. So it's as simple, and so it's as simple as you said. When do you eat? Like that example there, where you're just thinking, yeah, you, I go to bed at two in the morning, but you probably also snack at some stage before two o'clock in the morning too. So you got it. And just in our basic physiology this i mean even though western even though chinese medicine says that liver time is from 11 to 1 and um you know the you know or basically 11 to 1 is gallbladder time 1 to 3 is liver time so it's kind of the key digestive detoxification time of our body in western physiology that is also the time that our liver enzymes are most active doing the cleanup and taking out of the garbage and so if you're awake in that time and especially if you're like getting blue light hitting you because you're watching your TV or something on YouTube, you know, or this podcast, <laughs> um, then you are absolutely l shutting down that clean out process in that window. So I'm always pushing my clients get to bed and asleep by 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm wherever you are. And I've actually had many patients who are grave shift workers, highest rate of diabetes, highest rate of cancer. And I'm like, you know what, your job is your obstacle to your cure. And I can appreciate that that's your livelihood, but it's also taking your life. Yeah, that must be an interesting conversation with night shift workers, because that's how they make their living. And then to be in, I guess you get when you get to that situation to say, unfortunately, the biggest biohack number one is you got to stop that. And then hopefully you might live longer than three months. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and, and when I was diagnosed, I was working grave shifts at a detox center. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> and and grave shifts at a nursing home. I mean, I was that's how I did it cuz I was in college and I had to pay for my college and those were the only hours of the day left over to work was working as a nursing assistant on an Alzheimer's unit in a nursing home and being a detox counselor at a you know on on the night shift um at a at a detox hospital and so <laughs> you know it's like ah oh, crap so i had to make cuz i started learning about that in the early 90s when i started doing my dewey decimal system research of how my grave shifts were impacting so i i switched gears even though i wanted to stay in healthcare i went to waiting tables because at least it could still be after classes and into the evening um but that's where i shifted gears that that fit better in my circadian rhythm cycle Mm. Yeah. yeah, and also the care factor when um, people who tend to be carers have a poorer psychoimmunology score, which is sort of, it seems unfair to think this person wants to help so many more people, but it's actually at a detriment to themselves. Well, we call it the wounded healer for a reason, and that most of the people you are seeking for your own healthcare team, whether it's a psychologist or a nutritionist or a medical doctor or a naturopathic doctor, we all arrived in that medical field because of our own experiences. And part of the draw for that is helping others does help us help ourselves, but there's a fine line when you overdo it and then you become the last priority. Mm. That's where it dangerous. You have to, you know, that whole concept of when you get on an airplane and they say, Hey, before you, you know, put your own oxygen mask on before you help the person next to you. That is such a powerful statement. Every time I hear that, I feel like cheering and, you know, I kick me off a plane at that point. That's not where we need today, but it's such a great concept. It's like, you have to help yourself in order to be of service to others. Yeah. So already, hopefully anyone listening to this who's who's in that place where you said you've just got given the diagnosis and you might be in a state of flux and not not know where to start hopefully there's lots of starting points already that we're talking about here to give them hope and to give them the energy to channel that anger in the right direction you got it yeah and to maybe start to realize you know i mean i've used this term a lot too it shows up a lot but sometimes a jawbectomy or a husbandectomy or a best friendectomy is important in your healing process as well so it's not just your process but it's the the people and things and situations that you're exposing yourself to that your chemistry is also listening very intently to. So for instance, my patient yesterday, I've been working with her for six for many years. And she actually said to me yesterday, this past year, I gave up. I wanted to die. Her exact words. And she said, but a few things pulled me out of it. And one of them she said was my book. And she'd been working with me for all these years, but it was sort of like it would hit her head and kind of bounce off. And we both kind of joked yesterday that she spent the last few years kind of going through the motions and frankly, half-assing it. And she said, I know that you knew I was half-assing it, but you just kept showing up for me where I was. And she said, I realize now that I had to go there on my own. And she had this epiphany. And when she did the questionnaires, the thing that showed up for her was the mental, emotional side. And here's this woman I talked to about her career and how much she loved it and how great it was. Well, guess what? She had the awareness and the epiphany that she had an incredibly toxic, narcissistic, abusive employer. And she finally, I mean, she's been actively trying to die for the past year. And when she finally walked away from that job in July, she's stabilizing and improving and hasn't done any other 
interventions, conventional or otherwise. And so yesterday she just felt like it's time. I feel like I'm actually might be living now. So now I'm ready for you to give me some more things to do. I'm ready to commit to the diet. I'm ready to do these things. I'm ready to hit this further. We found her inner flame. We found her inner will to live, will to become. And that just simply hadn't existed for all the years we worked together. And she's a good example of when I hear people say, but I did everything right. Um, there's always something that we're missing. And that's not to say it's our fault, but it's just to say, keep exploring, yeah. keep digging deeper. There's such richness um, to the layers of our being and you can keep finding um, what makes you thrive and what makes you ill and adjust accordingly. So I think that's also a good point. And Alison mentioned the same thing because you gave her a 75 page report and she's still working through it over all these years. <laughs> Poor girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it was just, it highlighted again, when someone's given the diagnosis, it's not that you've got to do everything within the, the next 30 days. It's a, you know, it's just like project management go, right, where do I start? Right. I, I can see this is, this is a biggie over here. I've got lots of other things, but I'll get to those. Right. Let me start here and let, let me just try to do that right first. And at least that could already then help you somewhere and as you said once you get the energy and the focus and you're like oh fantastic i'm achieving move on to the next thing and then that's exactly. when you just create a cumulative positive effect and and that's i guess where we see it as miracle stories where people are like how are you three months you should have been dead like 27 years ago three months you know whatever how are you still around yeah. yeah her doctors gave her a terminal diagnosis last september so she's 11 months you know, out, um, of, of that, you know, they told her three to six months. So she's well beyond that. And she finally kind of found the one piece. I mean, her, her CA 125, it's ovarian cancer. She has her CA 125 markers drop drastically within the month of leaving this job. Not no chemo, no naturopathic intervention, no ketogenic diet. It was not a thing. Yeah. It was deep inner shift and it's just so powerful. And one point to make is um, whether you take that survey or not, is that anything you might have picked up on today that we've talked about, if you just start in one place, because it's all interconnected and nothing works in a vacuum, like, you know, even a good night's sleep is going to impact your blood sugar, your mental wherewithal, your stamina, your immune function, right? So it's going to hit those other places. So even one place, if you do nothing else, but just hit one spot on the train 10 and you hit it hard, you are likely going to have some really positive outcomes. And then like you said, then you'll have the sort of motivation to pick up another piece and another. I mean, I'm 26 years out and I'm still working on it. And so, I mean, just an example, it was in 2010 when I finally dealt with my biological dentistry stuff, when I finally removed the three-time failed root canal that kept every single time I had a diagnosis or a recurrence, um, that it was when that root canal was rooted. Right. So I made some crazy correlations and I denied it, thinking that is just hooey. When they sent my tooth off for um, biopsy, it had ovarian breast cancer, ovarian and breast cancer cells in it, 27 different organisms, and even Bartonella, which is a Lyme um, thing. I didn't know that. I'd been like smoldering and festering with that since I was 14 years old in that same tooth. And so that, you know, from a diagnosis in 91 till 2010, having that tooth finally dealt with was one of the biggest shifts in my mitochondrial function ever. My immune system kicked up, my weight stabilized, my CA-125 came down. It was like, how was that one thing this big? right? And so just like that woman with leaving her job, how was that one thing? You don't know until you keep exploring to find out what might have been a missing piece. It's 
it's an adventure, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's an adventure to keep excavating, you know, finding these little treasures, some of them golden, some of them a little bit yucky <laughs> that need to be dealt with. But man, it's, it's a powerful process. So you, it sounds like you're a founder, a fan of holistic dentistry, um, where, where you don't put in silver fillings or mercury fillings and, uh, you try to do other yeah. means to, to take care of your dental health. Exactly. And, and we're, our mouth is just a microcosm of the macrocosm. And I mean, we've known in conventional dentistry that you, I mean, why do they give you a preemptive antibiotic before, if you have a heart murmur, you know, or if you have a strep infection or they, you know, they, they recognize there's a connection yet they sort of ignore the rest of it when we get an abscess or we go in for a filling or a cap it doesn't really occur to them that um, metals or certain um, things that you're constantly chewing on and heating and cooling on and off several times a day could leach something into your body. You know, most, most other developed countries are starting to question this. My own country is a bit far behind in that. Um, but it's, it's crazy. I'm married to a, a mad scientist biochemist and the research out there on mercury toxicity is incredibly compelling to uh, look at the impact of amalgams and coal burning um, plants and high fructose corn syrup, which is processed with a mercury, you know, just different things where it's huge. Mercury itself is a mitochondrial poison and mercury stimulates estrogen. So I would often see women going into recurrence or progression after a vaccine that contained thimerosal, you know, the mercury extract. So things like that. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's another piece of the puzzle of creating awareness to how much garbage you're adding to your bucket on a daily basis. So like that young woman I'm meeting with next week, her bucket is just overflowing and oozing with like pustulence. (laughs) And she's like, why do I have cancer? I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's incredible that, you know, we can do, can tolerate so much until we can't. Yeah. Cause that, cause the, especially the fillings aspect, uh, when not just with cancer, but so many people on the detox pathway always look at that element they, and then it becomes a question of risk benefit ratio. Like, should I, shouldn't I, because there's risks to have it done. But then Absolutely. there's potentially fantastic benefits, but we, I don't know if there will be any benefits until I go through the risk. And it's, and it's sort of that weighing up position that they're in. There's a really cool thing, though, we've, I've gotten to because I used to have those same quandaries. Um, because it can be when I have my 11 uh, mercury fillings removed, um, I got very sick and I even did it properly with a biological dentist, but my chemistry and my SNPs, my epigenetics make it so that my body just sequesters mercury and other heavy metals, like, like a sponge. Now there is a colleague of mine, Dr. Chris Shade. He's a pretty famous, um, PhD specialist specializing in mercury. And he has a company called Quicksilver and he runs a tri- speciated mercury test. So he looks at hair, blood, and urine, and he's able to assess whether you're, which type of mercury, is it methyl? Is it, you know, is it, um, you know, is it coming from fish? Is it coming from your amalgams? Is it coming from coal burning? Um, you know, so you can know right away and then even shows how does your body detoxify it? So what is the best means of getting it out of your body? Because the different types of mercury need to excrete some through the liver, some through the kidney. And so he then gets that in the test information. So I've literally had dozens of patients who've thought, oh, I'm going to have to go after the mercury in my mouth will run that test. Guess what? Their mercury issues have nothing to do with what's in their mouth. Their amalgams are fine. So we leave them. That's a fantastic test because it, it, it takes, it takes that confusion that, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, cause I know in biological dentistry, they, they mainly use, um, electrical current and they need to test if it's conducting 
And I thought that's one way of quantifying if or if if you should or shouldn't take it out. But I like that too, that you can take it to another level and say, no, that the type of mercury we're picking up is not amalgam mercury. So there's something else in your environment. Exactly. Exactly. And again, this is what I love about surviving this long is because every year that I survive more and more technologies and um, um, uh, amazing testing, provocative testing, uh, epigenetics, tum- you know, tumor analysis, blood circulating tumor analysis. There are so many cool tools now that we do not have to guess one iota for our patients any longer. So even when I have colleagues, you know, patients who come to me like, well, I saw I did integrative oncology. I'm like, well, why did they choose that treatment for you? What was their rationale to use? Let's say high dose IV vitamin C or latrol or whatever it is that you saw. Cause yeah, on paper, it looks great, but was it right for you, your mm. body at the time? So even integrative medicine and naturopathic medical doctors miss the boat on this on a pretty regular basis. We no longer have to guess. We can know precisely what each patient needs at any given moment from the conventional and the non-conventional worlds. So this is taking the N equals one experimentation. You know, you are your own body to a whole new level. Um, I, I love that. And as you said, each year that passes, we're sort of taking that ability to understand how to make N equals one even more refined and it's that's so nice and i'll tell you the biggest shift i've seen i've had this for a very long time what changed my life the most and that of my patients was the kind of coming of age of the paleo community the biohacking community as much as there have all you know there's all kinds of little forks in the road around that, but it's a group of people that are just life learners that Mm. are interested in knowing what makes them feel good and what makes them do better, you know, perform better, think better, feel better, whatever it is. That group of people are the people who have been like the frontiersmen in true precision medicine today. And so I really love and honor the biohackers like yourself, because you guys are just on, you're the explorers. We have to have people always on the cutting edge, always looking to the, to the next thing to know where we are, because we've been so stuck in one place for so long with regards to chronic illness and cancer in particular, that to me, the biggest change has been kind of in the paleo keto biohacker world of the things that we're getting the science now behind it, like circadian rhythms, huge studies in the last year on circadian rhythms and cancer, huge studies in the last year on on sugar and cancer and, um, you know, just blue light impacting psychology, et cetera. We've really, thanks to the biohackers are figuring this stuff out. Yeah. It's just the connecting the dots, the information is out there. It just, unfortunately it might be termed something different, but someone's able to take two points and go, right, I can see a connection and then see, oh yeah, there's actually a, a lot of volume in this connection. A lot of people suffering this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we're speaking, um, the um, circadian biology won Nobel peace or Nobel prize this year. So it's, it's that big. Yeah. I know. So see where, you know, we, uh, and these are the things, I mean, again, I've been saying these things for 26 years and everyone's like, hooey, hooey. Well, now the research coming up and they're like, we've invented this. I'm like for the love of God, <laughs> I love it when, when, you know, a client who's been with me for a long time, I'll run into them, you know, especially when it was in family practice and whatnot, you know, people would say, you know, that thing you told me all those years ago about cholesterol is not the big deal. It's the triglycerides. She's like, I'm reading that everywhere. And I'm like, yep. you know, just th- those things that were so quote unquote new yeah. 10, 15, 20 years ago are now common 
knowledge. And it's just the coolest thing that even the conversations we're having right now that may be blowing the minds of a few of your listeners five years from now, maybe even less thanks to social networking will be common knowledge as well. Yeah. That's my dream. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why I do this show too, just to disseminate information that's out there just to help it spread and people can make up their own minds because that's what informed decision-making is all about. That's exactly it. If you're just going along blindly and just taking, literally popping that pill or, or just, you know, trusting that your government has your best interest at heart and is not driven by finances and whatnot, then you unfortunately will get what, what you'll get, you know, I mean, that's just the nature of it. You have to be inquisitive. And even if, um, you know, I, I have patients who take all my information, but they frame it to what works and makes sense to them. It may not be any of my suggestions, but they now understand the context. And that's what I want people to realize is there's no one way. You know, it's, it's again, that N equals one process, but it's like even to understand your own patterns, there's a million different ways to address and correct those patterns. We're creatures of habit. Yeah, yeah. And, and should feed back to more rhythmic, cyclic, tuned in to nature uh, creatures of habit would probably do us a lot better. <laughs> so so we've, we've touched on some big topics so far when it comes to sort of uh, diagnosis of why and also treatment. Um, the bigger one, which is what Ellison was um, particularly about, was the ketogenic diet. And so I guess we've got to talk a little bit about diet. Um, what, for you, when it comes to helping a variety of different types of cancer is a ketogenic diet the majority for for most cancer patients in your situation that you're finding that's giving them the best benefit such a good question you know again being my own um guinea pig on this for so long when i started my journey i went immediately from a incredibly ridiculous latchkey kid standard american diet where i literally lived on a fake dill pickle and chocolate milkshake for four years through school um, to working at a hot dog on a stick restaurant where that's what I lived on for dinner because we were very poor. And so I lived on the fast food from that and my huge liter of, of lemonade every day. So those types of things to then going right into being a hardcore vegan kind of overnight. But my idea of being a vegan was, um, was well, I went vegetarian first to Velveeta cheese and iceberg lettuce. Then I moved into veganism where I just pulled out the Velveeta and still kept with nutrient um, depleted vegetables vegetables because I didn't like vegetables, um, canned corn, canned green beans, lots and lots and lots of legumes and grains up the wazoo and was finding that I was eating an average today when I run those things through my fitness pal or chronometer, I was eating between five and 600 grams of carbohydrate a day. Even RD nutritionists, which are not therapeutic nutritionists, so sorry if I'm offending people, but that's truth. Um, even they say that we should not be ingesting more than 100 grams of sugar a day. I guarantee the vast majority of Americans are having three days of sugar at breakfast alone every day on average. And so that is such a big thing. And we talked about the changes in our rhythms and our circadian rhythms and all the impact in our sleep. So now you understand we're a metabolic nightmare. So the fastest, most effective way I have to restore the rhythm of somebody's metabolic flexibility is with a ketogenic diet. And whether that's long-term, short-term, pulsed variations on the theme, Okay, but my ketogenic diet it, um, is still a very plant dense based 
ketogenic diet. It is not a meat-based diet. People who still think that ketosis means eating a lot of meat, they're still hung up in the Atkins era. This is not an Atkins diet. As, as Allison pointed out, this is a fat-based diet. So I still have my low glycemic Light, um, leafy greens as the base camp um, uh, vegetables with then the fat bombs on top of that with a little bit of condiment of quality protein. Again, that's dependent on the person, their preference, their blood type, their chemistry. You know, for instance, if their ferritin is high, we're not having them eat any beef, you know, and then on top of that, maybe a literally cherry on top of a tiny, tiny amount as their met metabolic process gets better of some low glycemic fruits. That's kind of the my pyramid across the board. And then it's adjusted accordingly to the individual based on their labs and their epigenetics and their, and their, you know, state of health at that time. And they're, if they're going under a treatment, that's really hard on the digestion, we might alter things. So I tweak it to the person. Um, and I don't get dogmatic about it and we let the labs guide the way. So that being said is, um, after my own personal experiments with veganism, vegetarianism, raw food veganism, fasting, um, paleo, low glycemic, high fat, ketogenic, you name it, in my own body and that thousands of others, the most found one I have seen is some variation of keto ketogenic diet at some point during their process. And again, the whole goal is to address the entire, like if I'm looking to hit all 10 um, terrain factors at once, and I'm looking at hitting all of the 10 hallmarks of cancer, conventional hallmarks of cancer at once, there is not a better treatment. There just isn't. Even Adrian Sheck's work that came out in November of 2016 showed that the 10 hallmarks of cancer, and if your readers aren't familiar, it's in my in my book, and it contains things like sustained cellular pro proliferation, insensitivity to growth signals, either stopping them or signaling to move forth, lack of ability to kill cancer cells, reprogramming of energy metabolism, just examples like that. What Adrian's work was able to show is that um, the beta-hydroxybutyrate, the ketone of a ketogenic diet, directly impacts every one of the terrain 10, or excuse me, every one of the hallmark 10 of cancer. And then we also know that it impacts not just, oh, good, it lowers your sugar. It's also lower, like acting as a natural PD-1 or CTLA-4 inhibitor, which is a checkpoint inhibitor. Um, it's acting like a natural VEGF inhibitor, vasoendothelial growth factor. It's acting as an mTOR inhibitor. I mean, it's, it's working on these targets that we are spending billions of dollars on coming up with a single drug for a single target. And we're like, geez, you're giving that person an mTOR inhibitor, and yet you could give them a ketogenic diet, and it's going to hit mTOR, but a million other pathways at once? Are you kidding me? You know, and we might see that they have a couple weeks to a couple months of life when you give them that drug. You know, it's like, here's another way. And then the coolest part is how the ketogenic diet will absolutely enhance the effect of your conventional therapies. So radiation does not work well at all you are not radiosensitized to your cancer cells if you have high glucose high insulin high insulin growth factor it, you are not sensitive to the radiation if you have high vasoendothelial growth factor vegf angiogenesis right most of the people who come to see me have those issues you're not sensitive enough to a parp inhibitor um, or a certain certain chemotherapies and definitely targeted hormonal therapies if your blood sugars are high so it's like, even if you're going to take those drugs, you need to get the rest of your train cleaned up. So those drugs do their best for you. 
<laughs> do oncologists, so cancer doctors, do they talk about this as a base treatment? So they 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 say, right, you know, um, you've chosen to do chemotherapy or you've chosen to do radiotherapy. Um, did you know that if you potentially change the way that you eat? So they don't, they don't even, I know they won't be talking about ketogenic, but do they even mention like, did you know that if you just, if you could, the one thing you can do is just change the way they eat and that will actually potentially amplify the treatment choice that you've just taken here. Do they even broach that situation? I would say 99% of them do not. Yeah. However, what gives me hope is I'm meeting more every time I present at a conference, every time I pick up a piece of research, I'm seeing that people are thinking in those terms and starting to broach it. Now you have to remember, they're not allowed to discuss beyond standard of care. So many of them will even tell me, hey, I say this to my client, I kind of sh quietly shuffle them a piece of paper, and then I don't chart it, I don't talk about it, we don't have record of it anywhere. I can't even tell you how many doctors have said that to me of, hey, I know this works, but I can't advise. That's sad. Their that hands is. are tied by the industry. Um, but there's people like like Colin Champ out there, who's a radio oncologist, and Dr. Lewinda out there, radio oncologist, who are really educating about the importance of low glycemic to impact your um, radiation therapy. Right. Um, we also know that MD Anderson has put out multiple studies on high sugar, you know, the um, glucose in breast cancer. And so big institutions saying this. But here's a great example. At, at um, Hopkins, down in one corridor, you have Vogelstein's group, which says cancer is just Russian roulette. You're all screwed and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just a DNA hiccup and you're screwed. Down the other end of the hall is Peterson with a D, Peterson's group that is all about the metabolic approach to cancer and the work on Dr. Young co and 3bp and lowering of basically ketogenic diet um, um, ketones in treating cancer they're in the same institution and they're completely opposite ends of the spectrum and none of them know what the other is up to so it's just this is what's so sad is you know the hope of the moonshot precision medicine program that biden's um biden started in the united states a couple of years ago was to hope that we would create more transparency and communication between researchers i've yet to see that 200 plus million dollars go to use in a in a um, profound way um because it's still happening we have the research but no one's taking the 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 bench to the bedside yet and the few people that are me included um are still kind of shunned and poo-poo but i've been shunned and poo-poo for 25 26 years after a while you don't really care anymore because you're like i'm alive and thousands of my patients are alive thank you for telling me everything i do is wrong and ineffective you know like just please get out of my way while we continue to move forward <laughs> you know it's sort of like ah um but i get a bit fired up about that but i feel like there's we're kind of coming to a like that hundredth monkey, you know, of like, okay, there's almost enough momentum now that it's just going to start to flow in, in a, a storm of communication and collaboration. You're so close. And I'm super excited. You should come to this, the um, tripping over the truth retreat that's happening at Hopkins put on by Hopkins and Chris, uh, Travis Christopherson's tripping over the truth group. Um, first weekend of November in Baltimore. And it's 50 researchers, clinicians, and presenters from all over the world basically sharing on the metabolic approach to cancer. And I get to be part of those discussions and part of those groups and part of that huge um, energy that I, I liken to think that this is going to be one of the one of the events that's going to also push this conversation more into the spotlight. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And I think... Um, people listening to this, they've got to understand with the doctor at the end of the day, they're a human being and 
it's all about communication and their own belief systems too. So when they advise you on something, it's what they've been exposed to in their training or their thought process or also how open-minded they are um, and who they communicate. So when you were talking about that $200 million going to nowhere, if probably all they had to do was create like a, a bit of an office party and ask the two departments to come together and just socialize and that could have already disseminated the information so they could have had 200 million dollars of just past <laughs> just little office parties just to get people to talk you got it you got well it's like when barat arival um at md anderson was showing all this research on curcumin being more effective than taxol in breast cancer and then getting like crucified for his re- you know like research where people would go to MD Anderson because they'd read the research and they'd talk to their oncologists and say, I'm really interested in this curcumin thing. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? You know, the doctors had no clue that the world renowned researcher in this topic was just down the hall from them and showing the efficacy and the effect, you know, of, of this approach. So it's, it is, it's like, we just need to have a few more little office parties. (laughs) I like it. I like your thinking. (laughs) And, And that ties back into that joy aspect you were talking about with the heart and that. So just bring more joy, just have more parties and people talk, socialize. It's, it's amazing. We have gotten so, you know, I, I, I keep reading interesting studies because the, like, for instance, Gary, the work you're doing, the fact that we're talking to each other in different time zones and worlds right now, um, is incredible what we have with technology today and social networking. And it's also a time where we are more isolated and lonely than ever. And I believe that you just kind of like me believing that you can bridge the best of the Western medicine with the best of the integrated medicine. I believe we can take the best of social networking and technology and bring true connection to true human interaction back into the conversation and back into the reality. And it's moments like this where you go, okay, I can see where this is a very positive thing just wear your blue blockers if you're watching this at night <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely like yes. even here i just wear these slightly tinted ones for like daytime use and i've got darker ones for nighttime use so and i've got my little screen cover so that's how i work oh, mine. yeah, yeah. um uh, i just want to um say oh, you know unfortunately we're, we're at our time here and uh, i just want to say thank you for giving up so much time to share all your knowledge bombs i mean you've got so many more to share and um, I guess this is the point now where people are going to want to know more or they want to, or, you know, if they are in that cancer situation, they want to start somewhere right now. Um, your book is a good start for someone who's not, who's had a diagnosis. Is it? Yeah, because it does. It gives them that overview, kind of gives them the educational platform and the ability to ask themselves some important questions and get a sense of what their priority is and where to start. That really is very helpful. My my colleagues and patients out there, even people who've worked with me said this has been so great to have my brain dumped in one place. Yeah. Um, Jess and I are very proud of this work and we're very excited that, um, that people are seeing it as a means to spread education further and have something tangible for people to hold on to and keep referring back to because it's loaded um, with references as well. So my colleague, Jess Kelly Higgins, or excuse me, Jess Higgins Kelly, um, I always just call her Jess Kelly, but her, she's got her full name on the book. Um, and myself uh, wrote the book, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. We also have a Facebook name of the same. Um, she also runs Remission Nutrition. So anybody who's looking for direct nutritional handholding, Jess and her team at remissionnutrition.com can help you out. And folks who want to hire me to do consulting for a big bird's eye view, kind of what I did for Allison and many, many others. Um, even though I'm booked a bit out right now because of probably the book and the discussions and people catching wind of what we're up to. 
Um, you can find out more on my website, optimalterrainconsulting.com. And then there's also an Optimal Terrain Consulting Facebook page and a Dr. Nasha Winters Facebook page where I'm always trying to bring up, you know, like like the, the um, Nobel Prize, right? Of like whenever there's a cool piece of research that backs the data of what our book and my approach is all about, um, I put it out there so people can stay um stay up with the, the new information research that's coming out every single moment. Fantastic. And I think maybe I just want to add my thinking with your book is most people will, um, will only think about using the book when they have a cancer diagnosis, but your book, the, the, the tips that you give in there is pre-cancer too. So you, it's a spectrum. So why not actually, um, if you're concerned that you're, you're going to get cancer one day, you could still benefit from reading the book and just already getting information and try and connect those health dots in, in your brain. And so that way you could use it like a biohacking guide to prevent yeah. cancer. Oh, I love that. And, and that's, you know, even when you started to say the title of our book in the beginning, you kind of stumbled over the word cancer. I've had many people say to me, gosh, I wish it was called the metabolic approach to health, you know, or to life or whatever, because it is, it's much more than just wait, wait don't wait until you're uh, building engulfed in flames to address this, you know, you want to start hunting for the little smoldering embers now and then put, you know, snuff them out if there is something trying to take root in you. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all your information and I'll link to all of those points in the show notes. Thank you so much, Gary, all the best to you and your program. I know it's bringing a lot of valuable knowledge to the world. Mm -hmm. 